one of the many concepts or tools that the Buddha provided to help us achieve some uh, lasting peace and calmness in life is a tool called Satki, which is often poorly translated, invariably translated as mindfulness, which um, uh, is a word that we rarely use in any other context. And most key Buddhist uh, words cannot be translated directly into an English equivalence in one word because there were very, very few Pali uh, words. That, um, it was a language that was a fraction of the size of English. And each word tended to have a lot of different meanings uh, it, uh, and a lot of different purposes and was packed with um, uh, much larger concepts than any than most English words. So um, sati really means keeping something in your mind, keeping yourself aware of something to help you get a new perspective on life, to help you uh, achieve a different way of viewing an experience. I can give you numerous examples. The one I've been, uh, I used uh, this week was the Louis C.K. example. He was talking about how he was on a plane shortly after they started having Wi-Fi and planes. Um, and they made an announcement that the Wi-Fi had gone out and he found himself getting really irritated and then he realized that at that very moment that he was irritated he was 30,000 feet above the ground in a metal container that was hurtling 550 miles per hour across the country and when you bear that in mind Suddenly, the fact that you have to do without Wi-Fi for a little while becomes less traumatizing, certainly. <laughs> My mom used to have her own version of mindfulness or sati with me. Was um, whenever she was a terrible cook, a wonderful writer very brilliant woman, but a terrible, terrible cook. And um, so whenever she made something and we would start to complain, she would remind us of all the starving children across the globe <laughs> and inform us that we could easily be one of them too. Now, using sati as a form of instilling guilt like that is not the highest form of the practice. But uh, really it's a way to pull our minds away from the fixation on what's ever bothering us or causing us suffering. Not utterly replacing. There is another Buddhist practice of uh, replacing an unskillful thought with a skillful thought. But, but sati is not about replacing thoughts. It's simply about giving you some perspective 
so that we have a different way to relate to whatever issues are on our plate in life. Now, why do we need to do this? The Buddha had a wonderful word called tamayata. And tamayata, has, there's absolutely no English way uh, to easily uh, describe what it means. But essentially, it's, uh, the Buddha noted that whenever we're hit with an issue in life, a conflict with someone at work or a roommate or someone we're in a relationship with, a disappointing event, a frustrating uh, situation. Uh, what happens is the mind shrinks around the uh, issue. We become disembodied. We lose awareness of, of everything in the body. We lose awareness of the world around us. Uh, anything that we have to be grateful for flies out the window. And we fixate on the issue. Um, one of the recent examples I had was I'm idiotic enough to have uh, Time Warner and uh, I noticed that they added this channel that I had no desire to ever watch uh, but suddenly it was on my bill and so I called them up and uh, the woman reassured me that there's no way that they would just add a channel without me ordering it and I tried to assure them that I had no interest in it there's no way I called them up. And we were at quite a stalemate. And during this, I felt there was nothing in existence but me. I'm always tempted to go like this, but there's, there's no phone like this anymore. It's like, it's like this now. Uh, so there was nothing but me and her voice. The rest of all goodness in the universe evaporated. And it was just me locked into a stalemate with her. And then I remembered, you know, this all occurred when I was actually sitting at home during the day. I had time. It was a, I, I was alive. I was breathing. There was a, it was actually a nice day. I was actually literally sitting uh, by a window. It was beautiful. I was like, in, you know, there was really... This was a very, very small fraction of life that had suddenly become humongous. And like the uh, ancient Chinese proverb, I like just saying those words, ancient Chinese proverb. Makes, whatever I'm about to say, you'll believe now. <laughs> and it will sound wise and pertinent. Uh, no, but there really is an ancient Buddhist saying, I know because I read it somewhere online. That uh, uh, if you pull a leaf close enough to your eye, it can appear larger than the moon. Which I took to mean, if you really focus in on any problem or issue, it can seem to be the most important thing. And we can lose track of every other element in life. Every other, We lose track of everything to be grateful for, and so, um, what happens with tamayata is it, in essence, it begins to exaggerate the importance. We lose perspective. And then what happens, the Buddha says, is when, because this issue has become so large, and so in front of us, we begin to take things personally. 
and this is called papancha. When we begin to take things personally, we begin to think a lot about it, we become outraged. How dare this person? How dare you? Uh, interestingly enough or not, I was outside, I was locking my bike, just standing there locking it to a bike rack, and this woman who was engaged on her phone <laughs> walked right into me, dropped the phone on the ground, and then looked up at me and said, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I was, I'm standing here. And she, she goes, ah! <laughs> You had to have been done doing something wrong, you son of a bitch! So, but it becomes us and it. And we take it personally, and then with Babancha, the anger flows, the self-centered righteousness. This is unfair. Who is this tattooed freak parking his bike? <laughs> well, you know any better. I've got things to do. I'm walking here staring at my iPhone, and this freak is just there standing, not doing anything. It's so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what happens we begin to experience what the Buddha called raga which is we become bent out of shape passionate boiled over you fill in the adjective uh, agitated the Buddha's word for that is uh, kiriya so we become, the more we take things personally, the more the mind shrinks around the issue, the more we then fill up the mind with thoughts and uh, we begin to become very uncomfortable. And it becomes a, a state of very quickly of suffering. Now, we don't trust our... We don't like we don't like the idea that many things will resolve on their own. We don't like the idea that simply observing uh, and doing nothing and just observing processes unfolding. We don't trust that. Not only does the mind not trust that, not, not only does the mind prefer to intervene to become involved, to need to do something, but it's also the final essence of every single fucking job I've had in capitalism ever. Where I'm, you're rewarded for stress, for getting worked up, agitated. Everything needs to be fixed or solved. Everything needs to be, is an immediate thing that needs to be addressed. And everything is framed with this uh, perfectionist kind of, it has to be smoothly polished and look, look, uh, look beautiful for the consumer. Everything has to, any marks have to be hidden. I worked for a while while I was getting my teacher training in the worst industry of them all, advertising. 
I used to love it when Bill Hicks, my favorite comedian, would say, if there's anybody out there in the audience who works in advertising or marketing, kill yourself. <laughs> no, I know you think that's a joke, but it's not. Kill yourself. No, you're thinking, well, I'm being clever. That this, I'm going for the anti-marketing thing. No, really, kill yourself. I used to just love that. Meanwhile, I was fucking working in fucking advertising. So, uh, but anyway, a lot of jobs reward us for becoming fixated, obsessed, perfectionist. Everything has to be addressed now. Nothing can can be left to slide. We become personally involved. And then what happens is we can very easily bring this kind of interventionist mindset where everything, we have to have a good or bad opinion, everything's right or wrong, everything is um, either for or against us, is part of the plan or not part of the plan. We can bring that kind of mind state which is exhausting, exhausting into the rest of our lives. We can bring the work mindset home and then if someone's difficult or doing something that we don't expect or there's a towel on the floor or a dish in the sink or whatever, so we run out of toothpaste. Who used the toothpaste? Everything, the people around us become problems that need to be solved. Fixation the drama, the taking things personally, this uh, papancha mind state where everything has to be fixed, solved. There's nothing that would, you know, if there's anything that's even momentarily inconvenient, it has to be, it has to be uh, dealt with. And th this mind state is one that creates an enormous amount of problems. One, interpersonal relationships are messy. People do things we don't like. We can't always fix, solve. Sometimes they just want to talk about difficulties that we can't fix, solve, address, make easy. Sometimes there's issues in life that we can't fix or solve, that we just have to give permission to be there. Sometimes in my street there's construction going on all year long, year in and out. And so the mind, if we bring that mind that cannot relax, allow, pull away from, not get wrapped up in problems, not get caught up in dramas, if we don't learn how to detach from that, we're in trouble. So the point of sati is to transform this kind of awareness from something that can notice when there's issues but not feel the compulsion all the time, one, to take it personally, two, to fixate, three, to get involved, to have to have an opinion about everything and to uh, safeguard our opinions, to not identify everything is about us. It's a wonderful sutta, the Mahanama Sutta, where the Buddha goes at length to talk about this process. 
he talks about the goal is to have a mind that's aware but doesn't feel one, raga, this sense of boiling over, being bent out of shape, being put upon, that knows what issues it has to address but doesn't feel the compulsion to have to address it immediately, that can wait, can ask for help, can allow things to evolve on their own. Now, obviously, sometimes we can't do this at our jobs, but if you don't know how to do this at all, or if it's difficult to move into this mind state, then we can wind up constantly agitated by life. It's not established by getting rid of anything, but it doesn't allow a perfectionist or a, this has to be solved immediately. It's a safe container, in essence, that allows us to be with issues without being uh, run down into the ground by them. Uh, one of the teachers I studied with, the great Ajahn Suchito, talks about um, if we allow the ship of awareness to become just the size of that which it contains, it'll sink. You have to have a much more spacious awareness. And bearing things in mind make awareness much more spacious. So, I'm going to give you three different uh, reflections. There are ten, but I've come to know from ten years of teaching that if I give any more than three things to bear in mind, none of you will remember them the moment you reach the front door. I'll run into one of you at Whole Foods after this and you say, by the way, what was that list again? <laughs> <laughs> When's that podcast going Because I, you know, there's four things on it. It's impossible to... <laughs> so the gift of... Uh, the gift of this stuff is trying to keep it to three or less. So the first is um, whenever we find ourselves embroiled, conflicted, engaged, uh, uh, caught up, it doesn't have to be with something external. Somebody external can be a nagging thought, a financial insecurity, uh, a worry about not achieving enough in life. It could be any kind of obsessive thought that's... Uh, latched hold, uh, hooked the mind. The first thing is called Sati, And the Buddha here is simply saying, whenever there's agitation in the mind, there will be, in the body, a correlating tightness, contraction. There will be um, a state of tightness. And if we can become aware of what's going on physically beneath all this busyness, all this trying to figure out, solve, come up with a solution, uh, come up with uh, the, the right thing to say, the perfect thing to do, if we can for a moment just say, okay, you're allowed up there in the mind, I'm not going to try to get rid of you, but I'm going to bring awareness down here and I'm going to find out where is the physical expression of my um, rumination, my repetitive thoughts. Where is it here in the body? And just locating it at first. So 
if it's if it's a fear, if it's something we're frightened about, for instance, financial insecurity, it'll often be a tightness in the belly. If it's feeling disappointed with someone else, that tightness in the chest, uh, anger at the unfairness of the world or other people, tightness in the jaw, muscles of the face, feeling overwhelmed, too many responsibility, obligations, the shoulders contracted and tight, the neck muscles tight. So we can bring awareness down and relax these contractions. We can actually begin to soften and create space around the agitation. We actually become able to be with the worry, the concern, but not have it dictate anymore that we have to only pay attention to it, that we have to solve it. We can actually give it permission because now that there's space around it, it doesn't force our hand, so to speak. I've done this through everything from uh, working through uh, difficult interpersonal experiences, through uh, experiences with depression, allowing the thoughts to be there, finding them in the body, creating a safe space around them, and then breathing in, and as gently as I can, begin to soften whatever is the physical experience. When you do this, there's a part of the brain called the insula that reports back to the midbrain, and it says to the brain, you know, there's really not that much going on right now because I'm, the body's comfortable, I'm breathing kind of a relaxed way. We don't need to get this bent out of shape. And what happens is the right hemisphere of the brain is very keyed into the insula, and if the, we tell the right hemisphere of the brain, you know what, we're not in that much of a threat after all, after all the body's relaxed or the breath is calm, then the right hemisphere begins to stop fixating. Right hemisphere, by the way, is what determines what you pay attention to. Left hemisphere, language. The right hemisphere pulls your awareness around. So if you can relax the body, the mind will follow. Interestingly enough, when people have um, uh, the insula damaged, they immediately can quit smoking and they immediately find issues in life far less worrisome. It's that part of the brain that just keeps us that feeling that something's wrong. When you have that feeling something's wrong, it's, it's almost invariably that the body has unconsciously become tight. We've created the feeling of being uh, threatened, and then the right hemisphere has responded. So this is an excellent practice for counteracting the overthinking mind, the mind that needs to figure out, solve, plan, is constantly caught up repeating a conversation that went wrong, it's an anecdote for Papancha. It's a very skillful one, because in the body there's no concepts, there's no comparison, there's no sense of being a failure in the body, there's no sense of outrage in the body. So when I was in that conversation, there I am again with this ridiculous phone that hasn't been in existence for... Uh, when I was in that conversation, I found the breath, I relaxed the breath, and once again, that 
was the way out. There was no longer the threat, no longer the being pushed up against the drama. There was no sense of outrage there in the body that, you know, I was being abused. Well, I was being fucked with by Tom Warner, but who cares? So, the body is a, is a space of great liberation for the embattled mind. There's no, whatever thought is creating misery or suffering in our lives, it doesn't exist here. Another practice is uh, Marana Sati. very useful practice, emphasized a great deal by one of my teachers, Tan Jeff. Uh, It's the practice of reminding ourselves that all of this is impermanent, we're all going to die. And really, is this going to matter? Is this shit going to matter? Knowing that I have no guarantees, would I be happy if this was the last thought, whatever thought you're having right now, would you be happy if it was the last thought that you have in your mind? This is a question that Tan Jeff always asks. What you're thinking right now, if you died, would you be happy? That was your thought, and invariably, it's like, oh, fuck. He caught me on a bad day. <laughs> Another variation he likes of that is like, Try only to think thoughts that you would be proud if everybody in the world could hear. (laughs) Really? But it's actually a good practice. Because why would we want to have thoughts that we're ashamed about? Why would we want to have thoughts if they were the last thoughts we'd ever have? They would make our life have a kind of icky conclusion. Why do we want to spend our time, which is actually far shorter, trust somebody who's over 50. It goes pretty quickly. And getting caught up in so much of the stuff that we can get caught up in uh, is really such a sad waste of time. The point of Maranasati is it's supposed to develop a sense of discomfort with the fact that we're caught up in so much of the stuff that we can get caught up in. As I was saying, uh, uh, a number of years ago, I was at a retreat at Green Gulch, Zen retreat. Zen people were weird. I actually... (laughs) I am actually second-generation Buddhist. My dad was a Zen practitioner, which is one reason I'm not Zen. (laughs) Uh, But he used to drag me to different Zendos and, as a kid, meet all the different... Teachers, so I was. I just was at this retreat, and midway through, after days of silence, somebody said, "I humbly remind you that you too are going to die." (laughs) That was the only words I heard for hours. But as words go, they're kind of great because not because a lot of the time. You see, if I, if I ran the world, instead of having like people in billboards where they're underpaid, advertising bullshit, nail salons or whatever, I mean, they're fine. Nail salons are fine. I don't have any, I have no 
steak and that whatever. <laughs> but I would have people with billboards getting good money, and the billboard would say, you too are going to die. And it would be right where people are going into the subway, rushing in at work in the morning. They'd have to acknowledge death every day. It's actually one of the Buddha's five skillful reflections. Every day, uh, of the, one of the five reflections is, I acknowledge I am of the nature to grow old, sick. I am going to die. And that actually is liberating. Because knowing that there's such a permission to disengage from so much shit, especially the interpersonal stuff, you know, the fact that somebody didn't call us back or whatever. I mean, sure, if it's a pattern, we have to address interpersonal issues, but a lot of the times we get hooked by these things that we could just as easily, knowing the radical impermanence within which we all reside, we could let go of. The third skillful uh, tool is meant to cultivate the, act, the opposite of Marana Sati. Marana Sati is meant to create a sense of, ew, I was thinking or bent out of shape about that. Santi mm-hmm. uh, Sati, in its corollary, Deva Nusati's reflections on the times we've known great peace in our life. Thinking back of that time when you were uh, relaxing. outdoors with a friend or you had just finished uh, uh, something you wrote or drew or that felt really good a sense of togetherness with somebody that's important or a feeling of uh, just a feeling of being generous with other people or being helpful most of the actions that bring peace to the mind cannot be taken away by any frustrating event that happens in day-to-day life. We can get fired from a job, we can get a bill that's difficult to pay, we can have somebody do something unskillful, but in general, those actions, activities that brought us the greatest peace in life are not threatened by the stuff we get bent out of shape about there's much less at stake than the mind would have us believe. It's important to remind oneself that happiness is still always available no matter what we encounter. The corollary to this, by the way, is also Deva Nusati, which is reflecting on people in our lives that we can that have been generous and kind to us. Sometimes we get caught up in the unskillfulness of other people. How could people be this way? How could they be so outrageous? And if we get too caught up in that, then we can begin to feel a sense of giving up on our interconnected and the the, our views can begin to turn hard and bitter. And so Deva Nusati, reflecting on the times people have been kind and generous, is very useful. None of this is meant to brainwash us. It's just to create space in the mind around the issues that 
hookahs that fixate, that create a kind of um, a kind of a single-minded agenda that we where we can't see anything else, we can't see out of. These practices are meant to restore perspective. Now, one last note: in our day-to-day lives, it's very di- difficult to transition from the embroiled, overly involved mind state that we might often be in at work, and then to transition into a different state of mind that's more balanced, more has a greater sense of uh, perspective, as more it creates a safer container for experience. It's a difficult transition, so I like to myself um, have ritual a ritual each day that allows me to make this transition. If I find myself caught up or snared, I like to go sit somewhere outside where the sensations are um, very rich and encompassing. I like to relax into it. Sometimes it could be riding my bike or sitting by the river or an expansive horizon. I'll, uh, sometimes I'll bring talks of my favorite teachers. If you find it difficult to transition or to bring perspective in, have a ritual that allows you to let go of the clinging mind, that gives you permission to step back and let go of the dramas that's hooked. So, I hope there was something of value in there. I thank you for listening. And now, for those of you who need to leave at this time, if you can remember to uh, contribute so that we can pay the rent, I'd be very grateful. And then, after we let people file out, we'll have time for a few questions.